Lonely Monk Productions. I don't know if y'all have heard Vigilante shit by Taylor Swift yet, but yo! That's my joy! That's my joy! What's good, friends and family, neighbors near and far? Welcome to an all-new episode of the Yo, That's My John podcast. The podcast, website, brand, movement, way of life dedicated to the embrace and championing of your passions. I am your host, Nate Runkle, a.k.a. Wajonda Forever, a.k.a. Nate 3.0, back at it again with yet another episode of the podcast. As always, I hope this podcast finds you all in good health and in good spirits. On today's episode, I have a great conversation with multi-hyphenate Mark Schuster. Mark has been on my radar for a very long time as someone I wanted to talk to on the podcast, and we talk about that and so much more, and that's coming up in a bit. But first, what is going on, my friends? I can't believe we're cooking through November as fast as we are. It's blowing right by. I hope you enjoyed that last episode I had with Tim and Britt of Catbite. I got to hit up their show this weekend at the First Unitarian Church in Philadelphia, and it was one for the ages. The show started off with sets by Take Today and Bacchae, and to say that it was the perfect kickoff to an awesome night would be an understatement. You know, I wasn't familiar with either band before the show, but holy crap, they both made a new fan out of me by the end of their sets. Definitely, definitely check them out. And by the time Catbite took the stage, the energy level of the room was ready to explode, and it just needed a match to ignite it. And the second the opening chords of Creepin' kicked off, oh boy, that spark set the room on fire, and it did not let up until the end of the night. Shouts out to Tim and Britt and the gang on such an amazing show. I was so happy to be in attendance to witness it. You know, I also got to show some love to my homie and former guest, Scott Miller. I hit up the Tribe of Names album release party at the Royal and Glenside for their latest drop entitled Evolver. The show was epic, and it featured an opening set from Ray Weston of Echolin. And man, what a killer night. I was so proud to watch the culmination of years of work finally be released out into the world. Guys, this album is incredible. If you get a chance, check it out. It's available now on their Bandcamp page at tribeofnames.bandcamp.com. And shout out to the Royal in Glenside. That was my first time there, and I will gladly return to see any and all shows there in the future. It's an absolutely amazing venue, and if you get the chance, you should absolutely take in a show there. So many guests and friends of the podcast have been on that stage in the past few months. Jason Ager, David Jameson, Wallace, Keith Marlowe and the Miners, they've all been there recently. So support your local live music scene and get out there. But like we always do at this time, if you have not done so already, please be sure to jump on www.yothatsmyjohn.com and sign up for the mailing list. Best place to stay updated on all the goings-on with the Yo That's My John experience. And give us a follow on the socials, at Yo That's My John. We're out here. Join us for the ride. Okay, we're going to take a short break to pay some bills. But when we return, my interview with Mark Schuster. My guest today is a master of many talents wearing many hats. Musician, author, professor, artist, blogger, radio host, and champion of indie music. 
In his most recent project, he is one half of the band The Star Crumbles. Together with Brian Lambert, they have recently released The Ghost of Dancing Slow, a 10-song new wave album that imagines itself as a long-lost recording from an obscure 80s band that was lost to time and recently discovered in a desert vault. He is also the host of the hashtag TweetCore Radio Hour on the AMS radio station on Live365.com. Folks, it is my honor to welcome to the show, Mark Schuster. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am joined today by the great Mark Schuster. Mark, thank you for joining me on Yo, That's My John. Oh, it's a pleasure, man. This is a dream come true. Ah, oh, that's odd. Uh, uh, um, and and for me as well. You know, um, I, I always like to tell people how I first hear about them, and um, we have a connection through my girlfriend, well, my fiance's uh, father, um, who is you know Steve Daubney, who's a professor at uh, Monco, uh, and you helped him put his profile together. But he brought me to your attention, or brought you to my attention, um, as the uh, the author of the. Uh, Tired of California, the Beach Boys Holland Revisited uh, book. And ever since then, I was like, oh, my God, I want to have this conversation with someone who, you know, hyper hyper focused, like, oh, yeah. wrote something about about a specific album, a specific time period and stuff like that. And then, you know, fast forward and we started having this communication to have a conversation about your music and stuff. I never put the two together because I'm the goofiest <laughs> person in the world. Um, but so I'm super excited to be able to talk to you about so much today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, it's really funny because I didn't know that Steve was a Beach Boys fan. And I'm I'm a little fuzzy in my mind about like, wait, did he did he read the book before he knew I worked with him? But it was one of those things that you meet people. And that's the thing about especially a band like the Beach Boys. You you meet people who are just kind of, you know, if you're into them, you're really into them. Yes. And, you know, and that was that was the experience when I met Steve. And it was just like, if you know the Holland album, you're into the Beach Boys. That's right. That's right. You know, the uh, very first time that he and I met in person, uh, we went to see Brian Wilson at the World Cafe um, for the non-com convention. And we got to be like right up against the rail, like right there as Brian yeah. was performing. And it was like also like, oh, hi, I'm in love with your daughter. You know, like uh, <laughs> it, was a, <laughs> it was a very awesome moment. Um back in back in the day but um but yeah you know beach boys fans we we find each other don't we <laughs> oh yeah totally totally i watched another show it's uh beach boys talk have you ever seen that no i haven't seen it uh, that's that's another way i kind of I, I think steve's a fan there they're on uh they do a youtube show every tuesday night actually so it's um and and they they get these amazing guests like people from the beach boys touring band and stuff so uh it's a fun fun show to check out Oh, I definitely got to look into that. Well, tell uh, everybody listening a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Northeast Philly, so definitely Philadelphia native. Uh, grew up there from about, uh, you know, being a baby up till um, probably when I was about 13. And my parents moved out to Havertown, which is where I live now. Okay. And Havertown is the kind of place like it's like a black hole. Like once you've settled there, there's just... You might be able to get a little bit further. You might be able to get to Springfield, you know, <laughs> but then you're just drawn back eventually. So I'm, I'm living here in Havertown now and, uh, you know, uh, teaching at Montgomery County Community College. That's where I know Steve from. And I teach English there, but I do a bit of writing. Obviously, I did the, um, 
I did the Beach Boys book, and I'm also huge into music, huge into uh, especially indie music lately. I've I've gotten a whole lot of um, uh, just just grown to really appreciate what indie musicians do, just in the sense of not doing this because really there's a whole heck of a lot of money in it or anything. It's 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 really just I love making music. I love. I love making people happy through my music. And so that's, that's been my real, real, um, passion for at least the past, past few years, just being involved in that kind of a scene and both seeing some local bands as well as just being able to go out and just promote this idea of independent music. So I've been blogging a lot and interviewing a lot of indie musicians. And, uh, I came up with this idea. I just, I, I did not. It's kind of a weird thing to explain. It's like, I don't claim that I've invented this thing. I just kind of came up with my own name for it. And I just call it TweetCore, which is all the bands I've found on Twitter. You know, it's just all these guys who are just out there putting out their music and just hoping someone else loves it as much as they do. And I I feel like I'm lucky enough to to be that guy sometimes, to be the guy who's like, Hey, there's a musician in Wales. You know, there's a musician in New Zealand. There's a musician in the Netherlands and he's making this music and I just happened to stumble upon it. And I think it's really cool. It's like finding a treasure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's like for like, I'm, I'm kind of in a similar boat. It's kind of how this whole thing kind of kicked off was, um, that same kind of like, exploration of like just reaching out and just checking out like you know anything that comes across the feed or anything like that and you know Bandcamp is huge you know Bandcamp Friday started and then I was like hey you know during the pandemic it was like hey this is an easy way to kind of help out fellow creatives and and you know like and I found a lot of like really great bands and artists just kind of surfing Bandcamp you know and and reading kind of the blogs on there that they have. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, it's just amazing. You know, on on one hand, you always hear people talking about how oh, the music industry's changed. It's not what it used to be, you know, and it's ah, now it's all streaming and it's but on the other hand, it's yeah, but that's great. I mean, that's awesome. I don't have to shell out, you know, however much you used to have to shell out to just put out a seven inch single back, you know, when I was first getting started in music. I don't have to beg some company just to say like, okay, can you put out a few hundred CDs for me so that I might be able to tour around and, and find a few people who, who will listen to this music. It's wow. I, I pretty much, you know, with, with something like Bandcamp, just put it out there and tell a few people and hope someone, hope someone out there likes it basically. Yeah. And, and you can be even more successful than you could have in that old paradigm because you don't have to make as much money. It doesn't have to be as expensive. So like to, to make anything off of it, you're, you're not, you don't have as many losses in involved. Yeah, totally. I mean, right down to just making the music itself, you know, back when you used to have to go rent studio time get in a studio and then kind of just be happy with whatever it was that, that you recorded, you know, and just kind of say, ah, okay, that's close enough. But now everything's on the laptop, everything you can do, you can take, you can take your time. I mean, as long as you have the luxury of that time, 
you could take all the time you want to get something to sound like you want it, which, you know, that can be a, uh, I guess, a blessing and a curse, depending on how, how much OCD you have on a given day. Yeah, that which is which is one hundred percent my problem. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. Some days I'm just like, I wish someone would just come take this out of my hands and finish something, and then I can bitch about it later. Uh, but it's out there, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. That's why actually I've been um, making music with a guy, and and another example of just meeting people online. I met this guy named Brian Lambert, and he lives in Denton, Texas. And we just started writing back and forth. And a lot of it was just kind of about, I mean, it wasn't like, hey, let's start a band. It was, it's just start off with, hey, why, hey, I like that, that song you wrote. Oh, what kind of music are you into? And we just start talking about music. And eventually, you know, I was, I just had this little piece of music I'd written. And I was like, huh, you know, I wonder if Brian would like to write some lyrics for this because I'm kind of stuck on it. I did exactly what you're describing, which is like, I'm going to take this off my plate, put it on his plate, you know, and then a couple days later, he comes back, hey, here's the song. And, you know, boom, I mean, what he did with it, to my ears was just so amazing. And so I was just like, hey, we have to do something. We got to, we got to start a band, you know, even though you're in Texas, I'm here in Philly, and we're really not going to get ever, ever get to play out. But let's, let's be a recording unit. I think that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, and and the results are absolutely tremendous. Like uh, the 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 Star Crumbles stuff is absolutely phenomenal. Like uh, I've been listening to it, and and you know I love the the story behind it that you guys have created as well. Like it, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like a full experience, and, and it's absolutely wonderful that like you know independent musicians put this together. You know, yeah, yeah, totally. And and again, it goes back to being able to do it. On a really tight budget. I mean, I was lucky enough that, so Brian came up, he came up to visit, uh, he has uh, he has family in Delaware, and so he was up over the summer, and so since he was visiting his extended family, he just came up to visit me, and I took him into Philly, he got his first cheesesteak, uh, so he had that going for him. I took him to Independence Hall, just kind of showed him around. Uh, there's a long line for the Liberty Bell, so I just took him to the window, and was like, that's, that's it. That's it, you see it. Ah, damn, someone broke it. Uh, but yeah, so we did that. And, uh, and then on the way back, he's like, Hey, I had this idea. What if we say the Star Crumbles were, you know, a band from the eighties who just never made it? I was like, yeah, you know what? Let's make a movie based on that. And then I just know loads of, and, and as I'm sure you do too, just loads of creative people in various kind of pursuits. So it's like, yeah, I know people who are into independent filmmaking. I know people who are writers. I know people who are, uh, you know, music critics who might be willing to pitch in with this. And it's a very basic premise. Just just anyone who's ever seen one of those behind the music kind of documentaries, you know, it's just talking heads. It's like, oh, I remember seeing the Ramones at CBGB's and there was a dog taking a dump on the floor, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, so just asked, asked all my friends to uh, make that little mini documentary and I just edited it all together. And, you know, now we have this little mythology behind the band it's super cool do you guys um i mean i, I know the the distance is an issue and stuff like that but have, have you guys thought about um doing a performance of any of it or uh we um i actually performed some of the stuff uh recently just on my own um at uh the nail which is a band uh which is a bar here in ardmore um and i was on a bill with um do you know have you interviewed scoopski 
No, but uh, definitely in the radar. Like, okay, yeah, yeah. He's York, a, yeah. He, he's a great guy. Really funny songs, but smart songs too. Uh, he he's the one who invited me out to play. So I I did a bunch of songs uh, from the album, and Brian does a bunch of the stuff live on TikTok. So it's just kind of like it's almost like it's almost like um, although we're split, we could both kind of represent the band in each of our own areas you know so yeah it's, sure so it's like brian wilson has his touring band and the beach boys tour as well that's <laughs> that's exactly right yeah yeah or like when uh i think it was uh booker t and the mgs who used to have like a rotating set of musicians in different towns so that they didn't have to pay to you know put people up every, right, right everywhere right. they toured <laughs> um so when you know g- jumping in the wayback machine when you were a kid like what kind of music was playing around the house what were your parents into uh, the big, the huge thing that I remember most from childhood was the White Album, Beatles. Yeah, uh, that was the, like, you know, that was the, the musical text of my childhood. That's what I really just. My mom got that for my dad. I think when I was like four on cassette, and that may have well may as well have been the only cassette we owned because it was <laughs> yeah. basically uh disc one or tape one of the white album that's what would be on if we were going for a ride you know going to driving out to my grandparents house driving out anywhere it was just like i knew that i knew that album inside and out by the time i was five yeah well um did you did you have a a primary beetle that you kind of gravitated more towards on on that album or uh, you know, at the time, I I assumed the Beatles was like twelve guys. You know, I mean, just my four year old brain was like, "Listen to this. This can't just be four people doing stuff. This just has to be a whole bunch of like people all together, just um, you know, jamming and making this music." And then, you know, as I grew up and real started to realize, wait a second, it's it's four guys. That's even more amazing than I thought it was to begin with. Yeah, sure. The, um, I, it's, it's, it's really, that album is just such a, um, like, to me, it feels like a bunch of solo test, test piloting a bunch of solo albums. Oh, um, yeah. And yeah, that's, yeah. and that's what, like, what I really appreciate about that album is that it, it almost acts like a seed to see where they were all going to go. But it's also like, what would have happened if they were all still playing on everyone's solo album? So it's like, yeah, it's, yeah. it's like a solo album, but without being a solo album. I, I've always loved the white, like the white album's kind of always been what I was drawn to, um, as, as a musician, you know, and as a fan. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Weirdly, I guess it's like when uh, Kiss did their four solo albums. Yes. You know, something like that. Yeah. And it's funny, too, because when that's just thinking back on my childhood and how my understanding of who the Beatles were evolved, when that's the first thing you hear, your sense of like who this band is, is probably a lot different than if, say, the first Beatles record you ever heard was, I don't know, uh, Meet the Beatles or something like that. Right. You know, yeah. it's just kind of like, oh, okay, well, this is who they are. Oh, they have this stuff too. Oh, but they also have like, oh, let it be, but they also have Sergeant Pepper. Wow, this is amazing. 
And it's all the same band. Yeah. You know, um, as a matter of fact, I don't know that as a kid I could reconcile that early Beatles and late Beatles were the same band. I think I just like, oh, this is something I like that's over here, but it's not the same thing as this that I like over here. So like, you know, I, it was and then it was to a point where I was like, well, I kind of, um, you know, push back on the early stuff because I'm like, ah, it's more poppy and I'm I'm an artist and da, 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 da. Whereas now that I'm older, I'm like the early stuff is to me where all of the 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 glory like everything that we love about the Beatles is in that time because they were just such a precise band and they sounded so good you know oh, yeah. yeah 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 totally like when you see I don't know I mean that's one of the other cool things about living when we do now you could just find YouTube videos you know of of people breaking down the songs or just uh the Beatles even just performing, you know, and it's just kind of, uh, you'd read about the Beatles. I mean, before it'd be like, oh, I have this, you know, I'd be like 13. And it's like, I got this book about the Beatles and you just kind of read about, it. but now you can really, the way they release stuff now and the way they release all the, um, the outtakes, it's just like, wow. It's like you're in the studio with them and you're like, oh my God, this is Paul and Ringo, you know, just the full song straight through just bass and drums you know yeah. that's the first track they're laying down and it's just man how do you keep you know because the way i make music it's like all right that's ah, i like that i'll loop that you know <laughs> yeah, exactly exactly <laughs> they weren't doing that at abbey road well you know and it's like um they just released i don't know if you've gotten a chance to hear the revolver release that they just put out um with with all of the session takes and stuff like that um but i i didn't i haven't gotten a chance to like really dig into it but the one thing that i have heard is have you heard the um um the the backing track to rain at well, regular no, no, speed so you know it's it's kind of sl- the recording is kind of slowed down well they play it at regular speed on on the box set and it's phenomenal how screaming that band was go- like i mean like oh, they're wow. cooking and all of those great fills are just like you can just hear Ringo just destroying the drum set. And it's, it's like, it's like, oh man, uh, now I, you know, now I don't want to hear it the other way. I only want to listen to it this way. It's like finding that uncut gem, you know? (laughs) Totally. Definitely. Definitely. I have to check that out. It's so good. Um, so when did you start like playing music? Have you been playing your whole life or? More or less. I mean, at a very rudimentary level, you know, in grade school, they, I went to a Catholic grade school. And they, they had this program where this nun would come in and she'd just be like, all right, this is, this is what's going to be. Uh, you people are the bells, you're the wooden blocks and you know, you're whatever. Uh, and you know, she'd point at everyone at their time and then just be like, ring the bell, do whatever. And then the following year it was song flute. So you'd learn little like twinkle, twinkle, little star and stuff. And, uh, then I was like, ah, I want to play guitar. I want to play guitar. And my mom was like, no, you're playing piano. And uh, learned to play piano, kind of. And it wasn't until high school that I really started getting into playing guitar. And even then, it was like, I think as a high school student, and this this may be true of 14-year-olds generally, it was like not understanding, oh, no, the way you get to be that good is you practice all the time. And it And it hasn't been until, you know, another, I don't know, 35 years of me just playing for most of my life that I'm, I'm starting to feel like, Oh, actually, yeah, I can, I can hold my own, you know? Yeah, and that's, sure. that's kind of uh it's, it's, it's the kind of realization I, 
I don't think you're capable of having when you're 14, you know? Definitely true. Definitely true. Yeah, I uh, I was guilty of the why are we rehearsing? We should be playing shows like everything should just be like, let's go play. And, and then like we'd go play shows and sound terrible. And then no one would invite us back because, you know, because <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We never rehearsed it. Um, When you when you were playing in high school, were you like writing songs and stuff like that or? Yeah, yeah, I was. And it was always, you know, like E minor, you know, just, <laughs> you know, uh, I had this one song it was called like Under the Winter Night Sky and, you know, just wow. and just deep, you know, because I'm 15 and I know how life works. <laughs> yeah. Is this, is this something you could um, piece back together um, now as an adult and release on Bandcamp? Because that would be kind of interesting to uh... that one. And part of the part of the problem is I I don't recall. A lot of times it's lyrics or the hard thing, but I mean, yeah. it, I, I don't imagine it's any big loss, you know, that <laughs> was probably just something like you left me standing here under the winter night sky and what could be lonelier than that you know yeah sure sure yeah i i i I, every once in a while we'll find like an old notebook from high school with lyrics scrawled in it or poetry and stuff like that and i'm like you were not you were not doing that bad in life sir like (laughs) yeah 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 actually it's funny in that uh that star crumbles documentary there's a part where uh one of one of my friends from college uh her name is eileen donahue she no i'm sorry uh she, her name's uh eileen o'donnell she sings she she's she plays ukulele and sings a song that she actually remembers me doing like back when i was playing out in college and no uh, way yeah 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 uh it's it's conceivable because uh she's actually married to my roommate in college he could have had one of the tapes that i made so i mean they, they i mean i'm not i'm not suggesting it was like this super memorable song sure <laughs> but at the same time when they sent me those recordings the um the video footage for the little documentary i was blown away that anyone remembered that song at all you know and she's playing it i'm just like grinning ear to ear like oh i I even forgot i wrote that but then as soon as she starts playing i'm like oh yeah this is great awesome you know not not this is a great song this is a great feeling (laughs) yeah absolutely i mean like it it resonated like that how that's like the main goal that's all you ever want from creating anything is that it resonates with someone so yeah that's gotta feel absolutely incredible yeah 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 definitely uh where did you go to college i went to saint joe's university Okay. Okay. And and you were like playing out around that time and stuff like that? Or? Yeah. You know, I would play mostly, I mean, if anything, if I'd compare it to anything, it was kind of violent femmes-ish, you know, okay. like, I was into punk, but mainly could never get a band together. So it would be me and acoustic guitar playing something, something approximating what I thought punk music was. Okay. That's cool. That's cool. Um, Did you, did you record anything back then? Like, did you have any uh, releases or... I, I mean, I wouldn't say I would, I would just put stuff out on tapes, you know, yeah, I would, yeah. um, and so I had a, uh, Tascam Porta 03, uh, four track cassette recorder and I would just, I would, it's amazing. I feel like I really learned how to put a song together with that because it would be, I'd have a drum machine, but you'd have to count out, you know, it was one of those really old, you know, tiny little LCD display drum machines and it'd be like, all right, I need all right, four measures of the drums doing this and then fill and then four more measures. And then, and it, and it was just kind of like, you need to think out the song 
in in a really precise way and so like i would have that playing while i recorded say acoustic guitar or something like that so that i could maximize the number of instruments that were on any given track and so i would just put out you know, I'd, I'd record three or four songs, put it out as kind of an EP. One of the EPs was called, because uh, uh, Jurassic Park was big at the time, I called it Jurassic Mark. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, was, this was my, um, uh, my amazing marketing mind at work. <laughs> I like it. I can I can already visualize the merchandise, I think. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the Tyrannosaurus Rex with my head on it. Exactly, exactly. You know, you, you talk about um, kind of, uh, you know, that home recording and stuff like that, you know, um, as as like a, uh, were you always kind of like a, uh, uh, into the production aspect of music or, or yeah, did that yeah, grow? Yeah, definitely. I, um... I, and I think a huge part of it was being a Beach Boys fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you listen to what Brian Wilson's doing on something like Pet Sounds, and he only had four tracks. And so that's the kind of thing you tell yourself, you know, Brian Wilson did this on four tracks. Okay, maybe I, I, I don't have the wrecking crew at my disposal. But you know what? I'm going to try to figure things out. I'm going to try to do this uh, to the best of my ability with what I have at my disposal. And uh, yeah, and so I've always had this idea of really wanting to layer sounds, but also get them sounding as um, kind of polished on one hand, but also sounding live. It's that weird tension that you're always trying to, to, to balance. Sure. Do you, um, when, when you're kind of creating a song or, or thinking about a song, um, do you think about it as, as kind of what you want it to sound like sonically or do, or do you find that sound, uh, doing the studio work itself? Yeah. You know, I do it, uh, the second one. I mean, I'm, I'm totally someone who just kind of play around with a riff a little bit. And I use uh, the program I use is Reason, and mm-hmm. you know I'll just loop something and then play on top of that, and you know I'll just I'll just keep playing around until I find a few. It's almost like finding colors for a painting, you know. It's like oh I like this sound and this sound and this sound. All right, so what if I like blend them this way? And what if I all right? What if I have these chords going and then I have this little riff going on top of that and then I have this funky little bass going. Yeah, okay, that's starting to that's starting to gel. Maybe maybe this can turn into something. But like we were saying before, there's that whole OCD thing of um all right, I've been looping this one measure for three and a half hours now. Uh <laughs> yeah. Let's move on to measure two. Yeah. I just watched the um I don't know if you've seen it yet or or if you're a fan, but the um Where Are You Jay Bennett documentary about Jay Bennett, um, formerly of Wilco, um uh, who passed away. And, um, they talk about kind of the, the, you know, the making of summer teeth and the making of Yankee hotel Foxtrot and the end of his relationship, uh, with Jeff and the band, um, mm-hmm. was n- mainly based around the fact that he just was like doing like 12 hour, 18 hour runs on songs and they couldn't get it out of his hands, you know, like, and yeah, I, yeah, I could yeah. easily see myself spiraling into something like that. If, if you have like, you know, a, loft full of sounds and and instruments and all kinds of neat things you can try um oh but, totally. yeah but yeah yeah that obsession is hard to hard to <laughs> definitely definitely i mean and and to an extent that's a little bit like what having um you know one of these programs is like because man i have 
I I don't know how many different synth patches are built into this thing. You know, I don't know how many different uh, I, I don't know how many different guitar sounds I have on my amp simulator. You know, and it's just kind of like, oh, let me try this one. Well, that's kind of cool. Oh, let me try this one. Let's see what this sounds like. And you you could easily lose days just doing that and just tweaking. And so to some extent. And again, it's it's good that I'm working with Brian because it's you can always hand it off to someone. Yeah. Once you have someone else's ears listening to it, that really makes it feel like, okay, this isn't just weird stuff going on in my head. I'm getting some feedback and we can kind of, on one hand, hand it off to complete the work. But on the other hand, kind of you always have someone there who you're who you have a deadline for, you know, maybe yes. not necessarily a hard like you're fired kind of deadline, but definitely something where it's like, Oh, wait a second. Okay. I, I have another person who's depending on me. I have to get something out. And that's, that is definitely helpful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, how long have you been kind of using, um, you know, laptop programs and stuff like that? Like when did, when did it switch for you? Like when did you kind of open that Pandora's box? I remember hearing, I think it was, I think it was Don was, and they were interviewing him on some NPR show where he was talking about it, uh, about GarageBand. And I was just like, ooh, that sounds pretty cool. And I think I got, I mean, that was, that was why I wanted to get a Mac. You know, I was like, I'd been using PC laptops for a while and, and experimenting a tiny, tiny bit with, I don't know, programs like Cakewalk or something like that, but sure. never really getting anything great out of them. But when I heard him do this really basic demo, um, on, on, uh, on a garage band, I was like, oh, wow, I got to check that out. And so I, you know, got my first Mac laptop and it was just like, all right, ostensibly, the story is this is for writing my dissertation on, but um, yeah, chances are most of my time is going to be spent just fooling around with music. And so that's when I just really started getting into using the laptop just to, you know, experiment, make music, make sounds. And um, that was one of the first songs I recorded was called, uh, oh, what was it? It was something, but it, basically it was about NPR personalities and it was it was me just kind of shouting like Ira Glass over and over again. <laughs> I was like Ira Glass, Ira Glass. That's awesome. Yeah, and it was just experimenting with loops, you know. And then oh, then the uh, then the other the the chorus was Sylvia Pojoli, <laughs> and I was like Sylvia Pojoli, Sylvia Pojoli. It's incredible. That's absolutely incredible. The um, so y you said you uh, you made the the uh, purchase for your dissertation. What was your, what was your dissertation on? Uh, it was on the novels of Don DeLillo and um, how they kind of intersect with the the French uh, theorist Jean Baudrillard, who I guess you could describe as maybe an economist or a. Uh, uh, philosophers, you know, in, in France, they don't draw these hard lines between those things. So it was, uh, but basically it was about how the novelist Don DeLillo addresses the issue of consumerism in, uh, in, in the United States. Okay. And that's, that's up on Amazon actually now, right? Like that is available for purchase. Yeah. 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 That one's there. Um, that was like, but that was also the kind of thing where it was just like, 
all right, I've gotten this far in my dissertation program. I need to finish this dissertation. So it's not like, I would not necessarily describe that book as a labor of love. It was just kind of more of a, I got to squeeze this thing out, man. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so this brings me to one of my uh, uh, major overarching questions uh, for this interview is, okay, so you did that. You wrote some novels. Okay. Mm-hmm. You, you did the, the, uh, uh, Doctor Who fan compendium. Mm-hmm. You, uh, have a children's book. <laughs> you're doing all of these musics. Plus you're, you're a professor. Uh, when do you sleep, sir? Yeah, uh, I know. <laughs> that's, that's the crazy thing. Um, I'll tell you one thing. The, I've been, one, okay. Once the, uh, lockdowns started due to COVID, I had to start teaching completely online. And since then, I have not actually gone back to teaching in person because I've found that teaching online is, I teach writing. And so part of it is like, oh, wait, everything we're doing is in writing. And yeah. so I'm seeing how, how you're formulating your thoughts on the discussion board. And so what I can then do is say, oh, wait a second. All right. I can see how what you're saying now might translate to a problem later in the, like when you go to write a paper. And so I can address that at the root of it or hey this is a cool idea you're working with here let's talk about how to turn that into a paper and so once i started to really embrace teaching online i didn't have to commute anymore and that saved me about an hour and a half every day uh you know because it's like 45 minutes there 45 minutes back and that that adds up i mean it, it certainly adds up and so that freed me up definitely to think like okay what would i do with that hour and a half that I've been given. And that's, I think, when I really started to do a lot more with with being a little more focused on music, you know, going yeah. from just kind of, oh, it's a, it's a thing I do when I get some time to, all right, every day I'm going to make a little bit of time to work on some music. Uh, and also, as far as the writing goes, I kind of got away from, I mean, you know, you mentioned two novels, and and the Doctor Who book. And those were kind of like when I was imagining myself as a writer. Yeah. And I had this idea in my head like, okay, I'm going to write. I'm going to focus on that. And, and a lot of my identity got wrapped up in that. But what I started to realize was, man, I hate writing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, I mean... And it's funny because I'm on, I, I'm still in touch and follow a lot of people on Twitter who I met when I was a writer. And there's always this kind of undercurrent of writers are just miserable people. Like they're, they're miserable because they're writing and it's, ah, oh, I'm working on a draft and I'm stuck and I hate it and blah. And for a while I thought, okay, yeah, I guess that's normal. I guess I should be miserable doing this thing because everyone else is. And after a while, I was just like, I don't think it's a good idea to be this miserable all the time. Yeah. Yeah, it's I mean it it is funny though the kind of intersection between um writers and 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 musicians because you know it is just kind of two different artistic forms of communication um but you know one is so incredibly dense and the other like you have the ability to use instruments to replace words and to replace emotion you know trying to build things um so like I can I can easily see how you know the 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 writer mind is just like hey i'd rather focus over here on something that like you know do you do you feel you can you can communicate better through music than through writing 
Uh, sometimes. I mean, I think part of it is is just you know you you turn up the amp and you hit a G chord, and you just release all that. You know, it just it all you can feel it all coming out of you. It's like whatever stress you have, whatever's going on. Uh, whereas with writing, like the stress only increases when you sit down to do it. For yeah. me. You know, and because it's like, oh, man, because I mean, part of it is just really wanting to say, you know, exactly how do you translate this thing I'm feeling into words? And that's that's really hard to do. And it's really hard to do it in a way that someone else will find interesting or they'll appreciate it or engaging something like that. And so so, yeah, to in, in that respect, I mean, even. Even writing lyrics to some extent for me is like pulling teeth. You know, with the Star Crumbles, Brian writes, I would say, 99% of the lyrics. I might have had two lines in one song that I just kind of suggested to him, and everything else is is all him. And my wife's like, oh, I like the songs that you write. I, write, I like when you write your own lyrics. I was, and, um, and, and my response has just basically been like, oh, I just, I can't. Like words, I just can't, I just can't make them right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. That's really interesting. The um, so, so you know, uh, you've kind of not abandoned, but you know, moved on from 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 the writing. But before you did, were, were there any other um, kind of uh, concepts or or um, un, I guess unfinished uh, pieces that you were working on, like any any other album criticism or um, the, no no real books per se. Um... I always had ideas for stories. You know, I mean, I just have folders on my laptop just full of, oh, hey, a story about this would be cool, you know, or yeah. something along these lines would be cool. Um, but then, you know, then again, it was always the effort of like, what will I have more fun doing? Will I have more fun sitting down and trying to like crank this thing out? Or uh, would I rather just make another song or do play some more music? And it's always music. And part of part of the thinking, though, is like, if something is really keeping me up at night, just as, as like a project, something I want to do, then I'll be like, okay, I have to get this out of my system. And so I feel like with the Beach Boys book, that was, that was a case of I'd done all of my really long major books already, but I loved this album. You know, and, I, and it was the kind of thing where every time I'd read a book about the Beach Boys, basically... It would stop around Smile hmm. and then pick up sometime in the late 70s. And there was only just like brief mentions of, oh, here's this period where they recorded these three albums. And that's why I was like, okay, there's, there's a hole here. I want to know more about this. And so I'm going to do all this research. And once I started doing that, I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it all together in a little book. And hopefully some other Beach Boys fans will like it. And so that was the kind of thing where it's, okay, once in a while... If something really grabs me, I'm going to write about it. And the same with uh, Frankie Lumlet's janky drum kit. You know, it was, uh, you know, I just, I, I, I love drawing. I love painting. I love art. I love digital art. And I was just like, ah, you know what? Maybe I'll try my hand at writing a children's book. Uh, that could be fun. And it was that element of that could be fun that that made me do it. You know, and it was just like, all right, let's do this. But then by the end, it was like, all right. I'm done writing children's books now. I think we can go back to music. Yeah. 
Uh, that's awesome. Um, you know, uh, so speaking uh, of music, you write not you know not not just the Star of Crumble stuff that that you're that you're doing with um, Brian and whatnot, but you, but your own original stuff. I, I agree with your wife is absolutely amazing. And I have to give you not just a shout out, but um, a virtual high five for making a Transor Z reference, um, <laughs> which. You know, I feel like it's one of those properties that everybody forgets existed. Uh, and, and so whenever I find somebody else who, who knows and remembers, yes, virtual high five, my friend. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I love it. I mean, that was one of those shows like get home from grade school and just like turn on the TV and it's just like, ah, yeah, there it is. All right. I mean, how cool is it? It's like you're in a little hovercraft, then you're landing in a giant robot's head. And then, like, you're beating up monsters from outer space. That's, like, every kid's dream, right? (laughs) Uh, It's so great. Um, But, you know, so you do a lot of um, um, single work uh, and and EPs and stuff like that. Um, You know, uh, Star Crumbles is like a a, a full album or whatnot, but of your own original stuff, have you kind of thought of an album concept um, to work on? Or Uh, I did. I actually, so, I mean, I have released a lot of, music over the past under you know various names and eventually i just got tired of inventing new new personas so uh for a while i was releasing under uh the name zapatero which is okay spanish for schuster or shoemaker which german schuster is shoemaker and um i i did record a concept album called thank you for holding and the premise of the concept album was that uh the earth Everyone, everyone is dead. And so this is thousands of years in the future. But there's still one computer that somebody called that was supposed to be like a, a helpline. And this computer has been maintaining uh, this kind of hold music for a thousand years. And so you just hear all this very kind of... The, even, even the way I made it was... I could imagine someone alienating for listeners because I mixed it so that it would sound like you're listening on the phone. Oh, okay. You know, and so it's kind yeah. of sounding. Uh, and so it's, it's stuff that sounds a little bit like Muzak, but then I, I get some weird grooves in there. I think might include a song called sweet chocolate Jesus. Um, and then, and then throughout gradually you just start getting this, this robot talking and you hear him just kind of saying things like, thank you for holding I've been doing this for years now. I taught myself to play the flute. And then like I'll have a little weird little synth flute uh interlude. And so it's um that was that was my big concept album as as a solo artist. That's awesome. I got to I got to check that out. You'll have to send me a link to Oh it yeah, yeah, I'll shoot you a link. That one's that was just on Bandcamp. Oh, cool. 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 Very cool. Um, but you know, you, you mentioned the blog and, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the idea of Tweetcore, and now you're doing uh Tweetcore radio on Wednesdays. That is correct. Starting tomorrow. Um, and, and again, it's just one of these connections I made on Twitter where, uh, there's a guy who records under the name quiz boy and he has a radio station called AMS radio and he, he does, you know, a lot of production and stuff like that. And he, he just put it out there. Hey, I have this radio station. Does anyone want to show? And since he and I had already had this kind of working relationship, we'd, we'd spoken to each other a number of times, or at least 
communicated with each other a number of times, I just reached out and said, hey, you know, if you're serious, I'd love to do a radio show. Because I did, I mean, I did college radio when I was at St. Joe's University. And then I um, I actually even had a radio show for a little while at Montco, uh, Montgomery County Community College, where I would interview people about what was going on on campus and different activities that were happening. So I, I have a little bit of experience with that kind of thing. And it was like, you know something, I really like doing these interviews. Maybe somewhere down the line, I could start doing a show where I play a bit of music, interview some people, play a little more music, and just kind of do take take the efforts I've already taken to help promote independent music and just take it another step further. You know, just just give people one more outlet where they can where where people can find out about their music. That's uh, that's incredible. I mean, that's a, is essentially the same thing that this po- how this podcast came about was, you know, the same thing was just trying to, like, find another way to be like, hey, listen to this thing or listen to this person that I think is really cool, you know, and, and, and that kind of like uh, creating that kind of exposure has kind of brought, you know, almost revitalized my love for music in a, in a whole different way, because it's a whole another part of the conversation that I that, you know, I always found challenging was how to get your music out there. So now like any any chance or any opportunity where anybody is is do you know kind of you know broadcasting or or kind of sharing that information like is so valuable to me and I feel like you know and again this is just me personally that the pandemic kind of helped do this by you know you know show I, I feel like it strengthened the music community because we were all like oh crap we're all in this together and none of us are going to be able to survive if we can't yeah. if we don't totally. find a way to to you know and and the better one of us does the better all of us can do you know absolutely you know and it, and it's just this sense of community that i think is is what energizes me as far as it goes to and and I always love the idea of a scene you know like when I was in college everyone would talk about ah oh, the Seattle scene it's huge you know and then, you know obviously Nirvana's coming out Pearl Jam's coming out all these grunge bands are coming out uh and I always thought like man uh, yeah and, and you know obviously there is a Philadelphia scene uh but I've also always just wanted to be part of like you know, pu- pushing the idea, like uh, pushing the envelope of the idea of what a scene could be. And that's what I feel like is 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 going on now. You know, I mean, it's again, because of 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 the Internet, because of social media, you could have a scene that consists of people from all over the world who just like a certain kind of music or or just who like music, period, which is which is the kind of cool thing about the way music is today. It's I feel like the. um some of the categories of music genres are are dissolving a little bit um i've even noticed that some places rather than asking you what genre they're oh what mood is this you know what yeah. is is it kind because of, you know you could be like oh yeah it's there's a lot of energy to it okay that could be punk that could be yeah, that could be country who knows it could be rap you know if there's a lot of energy to it i want to go jogging so i want to i want to have something that's going to get me pumped up and it doesn't all have to be heavy riffs it could be anything definitely definitely you know and 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 i do think that like um uh, that the kind of 
um, social media streaming uh, platforms, so like, you know, your Spotify and stuff like that, um, and playlists um, have kind of helped that as well because, like, one of, the, one of the things I love talking to people about is, like, how, you know, I, I feel like a lot of genres, you know, and people, like, kind of sticking within their genre, genre – um, was just due to the fact that, you know, we were limited on the amount of music we could buy. So like, if mm -hmm. we knew, if we knew, you know, like, all right, I like punk rock. So I'll just exclusively buy punk rock albums because I know even if I don't like it, it's, it's at least punk rock, you know what I mean? Or, or something oh, like yeah. that. Whereas now, you know, the, the, the playlist nation and, 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 and the availability of everything at your fingertips, you don't have to be limited to that. You can try everything you want and not like it or add it to the playlist or add it to the queue or you know totally and i i even think about when i was in high school and you know we'd make mixtapes for each other you know and and now with playlists it's just like oh hey you know there's someone i know i think they'd like this music and this and this and this i can just put that together in you know five minutes and just send a link hey here's some music i think you'd like yeah and that is you know that's totally revolutionizing the way people share music that that they're into Definitely, definitely. Um, do you want to try some of these jauntlet questions? These are my yeah, standard yeah, yeah. questionnaire that I ask every every guest. Um, it starts with the one hit wonders. Uh, first one, Billy Joel or Elton John? Who do you prefer? El Elton John. I'm going to go with Elton John on this one. D yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to, in my head, start to guess some of these because um, okay. I start to do it because I try to start to formulate. But that one, that I, that that was that I thought I, I kind of thought that one. Uh, I it's the glasses. <laughs> That's <laughs> uh, number two, Debbie Harry or Joan Jett? Joan Jett. Okay, I'm too. And I'm going to tell head. you why. I met Joan Jett. No kidding. She, uh, yeah, I, I was a, I was an intern at uh, WMMR in the '90s, and she came and she was a guest, and she was the nicest, nicest person to everyone. And her agent or her manager, I forget his name. I think it's Tommy something. He was so nice. I mean, he, so she goes in to do the interview. And so he's in the hallway and I'm just like, you know, just hanging around because I'm an intern and he's just like, oh, hey, what do you do? I'm an intern. Oh, that's great. And I just starts talking to me about, he had been in, um, uh, he was in Tommy James and the Shondell. So his name probably wasn't, but um, he, uh, uh, and he was telling me about like how they did Crimson and Clover and then how that's how uh, she ended up doing it. And it was just like this whole wild. I mean, it was just like when I think of celebrities, I often think like, ah, oh, yeah, they they're off in their world. But they were just so kind that it was just like, yeah, I like I like these people. That's beautiful. Um, you used to uh, uh, intern in MMR. Um, did you hear this latest thing about uh, Jackson? Uh, the, the no. they 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 let they just called him in and let him go and then ended all of their overnight shows just the kind of uh, corporate overlords kind of coming in and and squashing even more more and more uh, oh, man local music but yeah I mean that's the thing like when I was there that was kind of just starting okay. you know that was when they were they were still on. Uh, they weren't on Rittenhouse Square at the time. They were on Independence Mall. Okay. Uh, they were in the Force Building, which after they left, you know, got torn down basically. Um, and so, but they were definitely starting to feel that that kind of the the corporate crunch, you know, of, of turning yeah. you know, like okay, 
this this isn't going to be the same station anymore. Yeah, it's a bummer. It's a bummer. It really uh, yeah. depresses me. Uh, next one hit wonder: Aretha Franklin or Tina Turner? Tina Turner on this one. Yeah. And, and my thinking on this one is, I saw back. I mean, I I didn't see it live when the Who came back and did like the 20th anniversary of Tommy. They did. There was a radio version that they did live where it was. I think Tina Turner was on the one they did on the radio and her version of acid queen blew me away live. It was just like, yeah, like she totally nailed it. And then they did it on TV and Aretha Franklin was the acid queen. And she was, she was great. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong, but like Tina Turner just, just blew me through the wall with her performance. And so that's why, that's why I have to go with Tina on this one. Excellent. Well thought out. I, I, I definitely I definitely love that answer. Uh, next one, Nirvana or Pearl Jam? Nirvana. I am I am a Nirvana man. Yeah, yeah. I, I also kind of sense that one too. I don't know uh, what wait wait a second. Hold on. Oh yeah, wait a second. They can't see this on the podcast, but I have my, Oh, but uh, you're wearing a Nirvana shirt. <laughs> my Nirvana shirt's on under all my layers of fall clothing. Uh, it's awesome that is awesome well planned well planned um next one janice joplin or stevie nicks Ooh, that's that is one that that makes me think i am gonna go with stevie nicks on this one um i mean because honestly you know if i'm gonna if i'm gonna listen to like if, if someone says okay you could listen to pearl or you could listen to rumors i'm gonna pick rumors um and and it probably has a lot to do with that whole sense of being into music production, you know, yeah. uh, I mean, that's, that's just kind of, of that era, one of the most perfectly produced albums I can imagine. Um, it's okay. Now that was a challenge for you, but I guessed it in my head and I'm only going to explain one reason why. And that's, uh, and that's, uh, what did you title it? Meatwood Flack? <laughs> yes. So, yeah. well, wait, what did I call it? I called it, uh, yeah, wait, yeah, meat, I guess it was Meatwood Something like, yeah. What, <laughs> Something like that? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Oh, that's great. Uh, Macwood Fleet. Macwood oh, Macwood Fleet. Fleet. That's it. Yes, yes. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Good. Yeah. Good. Good detective work there. That's right. Deep dive. That's yeah. That's my thing. That's my, that's, that's my John is, is deep diving. <laughs> um, right. Next one is the big one, Beatles or the Stones, but I'm pretty sure I know the answer to that. Yeah, I'm going to go with Beatles on this one. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to revise for you, though. Uh, Beatles or the Beach Boys? Uh, you know, I'm still going with the Beatles. Yeah. Because I think just in terms of um, having just just one kind of coherent arc. You know, it's just start in, say, 62, end in 70, and we have a beginning and an end, and, and this is the Beatles. Whereas I feel with the Beach Boys, it's like, okay, well, there was Beach Boys up to Smile, then there was this, like, okay, different yeah. lineup, different... You know, and so to me, it's like the Beach Boys are a bunch of different bands, whereas the Beatles are heart and soul, the Beatles. I respect that. I respect that. Um, the last one, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody or Stairway to Heaven? Yeah. No, okay. Now, that's one. That's such a that's a hard one for me. Because uh, and the funny thing is, when you ask that question, I had never thought about those two songs together. 
Uh, but then once I start just thinking about like all the sections of the songs and it's just like, yeah. oh yeah, obviously you have to think about, you have to choose between these two. It's like they, there, it's like one is, one is definitely structurally copying the other. So as I'm thinking my way through it, I, I think I will go with Stairway to Heaven just because that's the one that created the structure. Okay. You know, that's, that's kind of like the original and, and as good as Bohemian Rhapsody is, um, it's still still an echo of Stairway to Heaven. Okay. Respectable. Respectable. I like it. I like it. Well thought out. Well thought out. Uh, next section is the top 10 countdown. Of course, um, as always, we use John interchangeably however you want to use it. It can be music. It can be anything you want it to be in this. Um, but the first one, what was your first John? What was the first thing you were obsessed with when you were younger? Star Wars. Star Wars, absolutely. Yeah. I'm, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's uh, that that continues to this day to be my favorite John of all time. Like I am I am a Star Wars obsessive. Uh I, I cosplay Star Wars. I you know, it's all uh, it's all baked in. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, when I was a kid, I remember I got so uh when when the movie first came out, the trading cards came in loaves of wonder bread. Um, and I remember just having these little, and I hadn't even seen the movie, but I was just like, who's this, who's this, who's this robot? Oh my gosh. I have to, I have to know more about this. And that was, you know, that was my gateway into that, that galaxy far, far away. Absolutely. Um, I always make this joke and, and I can see uh, it's just out of, I have stuff just out of reach, but like that at all points in time, there is probably something Star Wars either on my person or with at least five feet from me. <laughs> and, uh, I literally yeah, yeah, just, yeah. I was just going to go see if I could grab something and I just looked to my left and it's just out of reach. But, um, my, uh, my Darth <laughs> Vader, case, just- my, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my Darth Vader case of, uh, Star Wars, uh, the original action figures is literally like, ah, two, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, classic. Nice. Um, number two, what's your current John? What are you into right now? Uh, I, I, you know, I got to be honest with you. My current John is has, has to be indie music. You yeah. know, I mean, it's just uh, it's 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 making me feel like things matter I mean, in a weird way. You know, uh, I mean, it's easy to live in this world and just feel like, ah, it's all going to shit and who cares? No one cares about each other. And, and being involved in this community is, is just like, wow, you know what? People are really lifting each other up. People are really in this, not for themselves, but for this, this kind of greater sense of we, we can share each other's music and enjoy each other's music. And that is, that's incredibly fulfilling to me. Absolutely. It's beautiful. Uh, number three, um, and I saw the answer to this spoiler alert on your band cam, but I'll let you tell these people, what was your first concert? Uh, <laughs> it was the Monkees. Uh-huh. Uh, 1987. Yeah. It's and, coming. Uh, it's let's coming. take a look. So I have, this is actually a, a hyper-specific uh, Mike Nesmith uh uh, reference, but it's uh, save the Texas Prairie Chicken uh, on my T-shirt, <laughs> um, and it was okay. not planned. I just happened to be I just happened to be wearing it. But uh... <laughs> yeah, no, um, yeah. So I saw them in '87. Mike obviously wasn't there. Um, that was when they were the three of them touring, and I love the Monkees, man. I mean, I was like, when I, I guess it was probably around '85 when they started really pushing, you know, 
a, a monkey's revival. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I saw them at the Valley Forge Music Fair, which is no longer there. Uh, but it was one of those places where you go in and the stage just rotates around, you know, and it was just like, all right, here they come around and they're singing. All right, now, now we're back. <laughs> ah, again. So my dad took me to see that show and that was, uh, that was a lot of fun. That's awesome. I love it. I love it. Any, any excuse to talk about the monkeys, uh, I will, oh, I will gladly take. Um, number four, what was the last concert you went to? Lucius. Oh it yeah. It was at, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. They they played at the TLA, and that was back in I, th- I want to say March, and so that was the last like concert concert that was at a at a, a big venue as opposed to say uh, a club, you know, like or at a bar, mm-hmm. you know. Because I saw obviously I saw Skoopsky recently, um, and he was playing the, on the show I was at. But then before that, I even saw him at um, it was like him bees. Who are great? Have you have you? I've have you I've heard, heard I've heard a few tracks in it. Yeah, they're fun. They're fun. Um, and a couple other. Oh, affiliates and the affiliates. He's a he's a musician from out of Chicago. That was also a good. Uh, he he was the one who was on tour and brought everyone else together. That was that was a fun show too. That's awesome. That is so cool. Uh, number five. What's your favorite concert? What was the best show you ever went to? The best show I ever went to was Pet Shop Boys. Wow, where at? That was at The Man. And this was, I want to say about five years ago. And it was so funny because it was kind of an over, it was in September. It was a Sunday night. It was a Sunday night or a Monday night. And I remember my wife and I, we had bought the tickets. It's one of those things where you buy tickets in May or June and you're like, this is a great idea. Mm-hmm. And then it's, it's a school night in September and you both have to go to work the next day. And it's just like, I don't know. Is this really such a great idea? And we almost didn't go. And, but we were just like, you know what, man, it's not too far away. We'll go. We'll check it out. And it was amazing. I mean, first of all, we get there and an usher comes over. It's like, oh, we're really sorry. Uh, we can't let you sit in these seats. And they're like, oh, okay. And they're like, okay, we, we have these better seats. And they just bring us up and we're right behind where the, the sound guys are. You know, the guys who are doing all the sound and the lighting. And we're like, okay, this is cool. But then you see that that whole crew put on like orange jumpsuits and like lab coats and they all shake hands as if like we're just going to, we're about to shoot a rocket to the moon. Oh, awesome. Yeah. And it was like, and my wife and I look at each other. It's like, this is going to be good. And it was amazing. I mean, it's like they're singing all the hits and lasers everywhere, uh, projections. They have this dance troupe. Someone comes out on the stage in head to toe in gold um, tinsel, basically, <laughs> like like a Christmas tree on a pogo stick, like for the whole song, just like bouncing back and forth on the stage while they're doing this. Um, I don't I don't even remember what song it was. I just remember like, how is that person doing that? How does someone have enough energy to keep doing it? It was an amazing show. So Pet Shop Boys all the way. That sounds like a phenomenal experience from head to toe. That's awesome. Uh, number six, who have you never seen live that you wish you would have? They can be living or dead. Oh, God, yeah. And this is this could easily be a list that goes on for a very long time. Um, one regret I have is not seeing the Ramones. You know, like having been able, having been 
alive to see them, you know, and having been able to go to the tower theater when I knew they were playing and then for some reason or another being too lazy to do it just because I'm just like, ah, they'll come around again. Mm-hmm. They'll come around again. And then it's like, oh, what? Who's sick? Uh, what? Their last tour? What? Uh, oh, damn. Okay. Um, but I would say, I would say my, despite that regret, I, I would, I would want to see REM. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm like uh I'm really sad um that I never got to see them like right before um uh losing my religion blew up like right when they were still playing like kind of smaller venues but before they were like capital R capital E capital M you know like yeah 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 yeah, yeah. um uh which you know I was listening to them around then and you know um shortly uh, what was the um the single on the I, I I get the albums mixed up in my head, but b- before it, so it was like right before it broke. Like you know, it would have been um, yeah, like stand stand, stand. was. That I was mean, it. like green green was. I think their their like last. Okay, we're kind of an underground band kind of album. I think yeah, that, they, that was what it was. It was stand because um, I used to love the video when they played it on MTV. Um, yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and it was one of those things where like I was in high school at the time, and it was like um, we could go see them, but you know it costs money and getting down there, yeah. and blah 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 blah. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're playing, you know what's now wells fargo or or the spectrum or and, stuff. and yeah, it was yeah, like yeah. oh i yeah. missed that window <laughs> yeah 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 totally <laughs> they're great though uh number seven name an unappreciated john something you wish um more people would uh check out okay see so i when you said because uh, when I, I i may have taken a peek at these ahead of time i think an unappreciated john is windshield wipers and oh. uh, and i say that because i just had to replace mine because when they don't work, you realize, oh, crap, like, I need these. These are really important. Yeah. And so then it's just kind of like, yeah, I better, I better, you know what, I got to, I got to give some more props to windshield wipers. I like it. I, uh, I on my, on my first car that I had, um, the arm on the driver's side windshield wiper, um, broke at one point. So like I could, I could only use the lower speeds because if not, it would kick off and, and I was in a torrential downpour one time and I was like, I just have to risk it. I have to try. And it did, it flipped off and I couldn't see anything. And I, I 100% agree. You don't recognize how important they are until you can't use them. Totally. Totally. I love it. Uh, number eight, what's your favorite album? My favorite album is, oh, it's called, you know what? I have to, I wrote it down, my <laughs> cheat sheet, um, because it, it doesn't leap off the tongue. Wait a second. That's not it. Someday World. I always want to call it Hello World. Someday World. It's by Brian Eno and Carl Hyde. It came out, I don't know, probably about eight years ago. Um, I, I really like Brian Eno and I really like both his approach to making music, uh, but also just, he, he, he writes some really good songs and I feel like there are just some moments on Someday World that are, uh, incredibly transcendent. Ah, it's awesome. I'm going to, I'm, I'm not familiar with it. I'm definitely going to have to check that one out as soon as, uh, probably as soon as we get off of this, I'm actually going to put that on, uh, while I do yeah. some dishes and stuff. Um, that's, nice. that's awesome. That is awesome. Uh, number nine, name an artist whose output you'll consume anything they release. All right. So I'm, I'm defining artist broadly. 
Uh, yeah, but definitely. It's David Lynch. Yeah. I'm a big David Lynch fan. I mean, I love... My wife and I watched Twin Peaks The Return, you know, the the thing they did a few years back. Uh, you know, it's 15 episodes or something like that. We watch that every summer um, just because we just think it's so aesthetically just kind of mind-blowing, you know? I mean, I, yeah. and I just... I love David Lynch's whole approach to everything. It's just kind of like, all right, I'm going to do weird things now, and I'm going to put an elephant on top of a donkey, and we're going to see what happens. You know, I mean, it's... That's it's, awesome. Uh, yeah, so I, I would, you know, whatever whatever he's doing, I will at least take a look at it. I mean, I may not sit through the whole thing, mm-hmm. but it'll just be like, all right, we'll, we'll give this one 15 minutes and say, okay, all right. All right, I can go with this. That's awesome. Um, and very timely because I think it was Saturday, Friday or Saturday was the um, 20th anniversary of the release of Lost Highway. So there's oh. a little... <laughs> okay. <laughs> See, I was not aware of that. I have, to, I have to watch that one again. I love that one. I mean, love them all. Yeah, he um uh, actually lived in Philadelphia for a while too. Um and I'm yes. I was thinking about trying to reach out to a publicist or something and seeing if I could uh borrow him and talk to him on this podcast cuz I would love to pick that gentleman's brain. <laughs> that would be pretty wild and not to make you jealous. But he was at he right before they announced that they were going to do that Twin Peaks uh return. He was at the Bryn Mawr Film Institute. Really? Uh, giving a little talk and i went to that and so they allowed people in the audience to just ask questions and but the way it worked it was weird you had to send your question ahead of time and then uh the person who was hosting actually asked him the question but they asked you to stand up so he could look at you while he was giving you the answer to the question that you wrote on a little piece of paper um and so it was um yeah i asked him a question about how basically like how does how does he balance art and money? You know, how does he balance like the idea of of being an artist, but also like basically, how do you get people to fund these crazy movies that you make? Yeah, and the answer was basically that it's very difficult to do. You know, and and he also very freely admitted that he is extremely lucky that that luck played a huge part in it because he wasn't i don't know i feel often people are just like i earned it and i did this and you know and it's just kind of like no i i am an incredibly lucky guy yeah you know um one of the things i've been thinking about a lot um and and specifically because of things like um like disney plus and hulu and netflix and all is um the fact that to be able to make really creative stuff anymore, you have to try to find a way to fit it into existing IP. And I I would love um, – it would be an enormous flex um, on everyone's part, but I would love um, – and this is specifically because I, I prefer his version of Dune um, – it, it, that um, Disney would let him just – give him like one super small background character from a star Wars thing and say, give us one film or one series based on this character and you can do whatever you want with it. Because I just think if he played in that world, it could be something phenomenal. They actually, George Lucas asked him to direct return of the Jedi. return of the Jedi. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 Which would have been insane. I mean, it would have been, Oh my God. I can only imagine David Lynch, David Lynch's Return of the Jedi. That would yes. be amazing. 
Um, and the other director I want them to do that with, and this is a, the most enormous mistake that Disney would ever make or could ever make, it, especially if they're saying you can have free reign, is um, uh, David Cronenberg. Um, I would love to see a David Cronenberg Star Wars film. <laughs> oh, absolutely. That would <laughs> but, be um, but I'm warped like that. So uh, Yeah, um, yeah. But, it, would be, it would be like Videodrome, but it's like the things in R2-D2. It would be... Uh, <laughs> They, they, Princess Leia sticks the little disc in him or whatever it is, and then it's just like R2 just goes insane and just starts having insane visions of, of just the world melting around him. I would love it so much. <laughs> um, the 10th and final of the top 10 countdown, what is your favorite John of all time? Again, can be anything you want it to be. I'm, I'm going to be uh, ultra sentimental with this, and I'm going to say my wife, Carrie. Oh no, that's that's a perfect answer. I love that, and and should be your answer. <laughs> right, especially um, since she's standing right there with a with a rolling pin. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. It's so awesome. So uh, you got the the Tweetcore Radio Hour. Um, you've got the the Star Crumbles uh, album, The Ghost of Dancing Slow, um, out right now. What what else are you working? What anything else you're working on uh, currently here? Uh, yeah, Brian and I are actually working on a second Star Crumbles album. We are, you know, just sending files back and forth at this point. Uh, we have about, about six pieces of music written. And so then it's just a matter of, I don't know, probably writing about four or five more to round out the album. And then, uh, you know, th- then it's just a lot of polishing. You know, it's yeah. like, how do we get this song to sound as good as it can and that's that's really one of like brian's real real talents like i am i am decent at mixing and okay at kind of mastering or at least getting the levels about right uh like brian will work at it until everything just sounds you know just you can hear every little thing on there crystal clear you know and i i think that's great uh that's another one of the great uh pleasures of of working with him so that's that's the main thing we're working on and then you know this uh the the whole radio thing happened so quickly because it was um sunday i mean it was literally like what's today tuesday sunday uh afternoon i just said to him hey how about we do this thing and he was like okay and then i i Put a show together and sent it to him. I was like, "Oh, when do you think it'll air?" He's like, uh, "Wednesday." You oh, know? And wow. Was, okay. So, and then, then in my head, I'm like, "Oh, wow. Okay, now I have to make episode two and like keep keep going." You know? And it's it's you know, I imagine what what doing your podcast is like. It's just like, "Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. This is the thing I'm doing now. I got to buckle down and, and get thing done." Yeah. It's it, in a good. It, in in a in a very good way, yeah. They're they're good problems to have, you know. Um, that's one of the things. Like this started out as me just talking to my friends, and then all of a sudden, like you know, I have national touring artists on here, and I'm talking with press agents who are like who are like, um, hey, would you like to interview so and so? Like, um, I have a, a a pretty big interview uh, coming up that uh, as soon as this stops, I'll tell you who it's with. Um, that like, okay. um, that if it goes through, I I don't even know why. They they would want to talk to me period let alone uh 
<laughs> let wow. alone have that opportunity. But that is um, awesome. But yeah, like it happens really fast, you know, and it's it's just the word of mouth and it's getting out there and being good at what you do. And you are very good at what you do. Um, so I'm very excited to see what what you have, not just in store for the radio show and uh, and, you know, the star crumbles and whatnot, but just anything that you kind of put your hands in because you you are such an enormously creative person. And um, uh, I, I love I love just your your output. Um, it, like I haven't heard anything bad come from you. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, thank you. I, you still haven't heard. Uh, thank you for holding. I'll, I'll, <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a reason I don't talk about that a whole hell of a lot. But but thank you. I really appreciate it. Um, thank you so much for doing this. So, if anybody would like to find you on the social media or you know find your music, what's the easiest way to track all your projects down? Uh, the easiest way is markshuster dot com. M A R C S C H uster.com uh there's also the starcrumbles.com which is where we house all of our star crumbles uh goings on and uh, honestly follow me on twitter i mean that's where i am most of the time uh it's at mark underscore schuster so m-a-r-c underscore s-c-h-u-s-t-e-r and uh follow me we'll talk we'll talk indie music we'll talk david lynch we'll talk star wars it'll be great it's amazing. Mark, thank you so much for doing this. Is there anything you'd like to leave these fine people with? Uh, you know, I'll just leave you with this. If you're a musician, thank you. Thank you for making music. If you are a fan of music, if you know musicians, share it. Tell your friends about it. Um, this is one of the things I, I keep getting coming back to with, with the new radio show is just go out there and tell people about it. I always think about when I was in high school and it was almost like you're in this cool club when you find out about new music. And, but it's the kind of cool club you want to bring other people into. And I, I want, I want people to feel that way now. I want people to just be like, Hey, have you heard this band? Not many people know it, but I think you'd like it. And it's like that, that makes you feel special. Like, Ooh, I'd like this. So, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm the person who was picked out for this music. Do that. Share independent music. Share any music, but definitely share independent music with with friends who you think are going to like it, because that's really how we we start spreading the word, and that's really how we just keep music alive. My many thanks again to Mark for joining me on the show today. You can find links to all of Mark's many music and literary projects on his website at www.markschuster.com. His latest release, The Ghost of Dancing Slow from The Star Crumbles, his project with Brian Lambert, is now available on their Bandcamp page at thestarcrumbles1.bandcamp.com or wherever you stream music. And his radio show, the Hashtag TweetCore Radio Hour, airs Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Links to all of these can be found in the show notes. If you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe to the Yo! That's My John podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. And if you are so kind and would like to join the ranks of the super awesome John Scouts and earn yourself a merit badge for citizenship of the world, you can do so just by rating and reviewing us. Don't forget to visit www.yothatsmyjohn.com for articles, merchandise, and links to all of the previous episodes of this podcast. And guys, while you're there, be sure to sign up for our mailing list to get all of the updates delivered straight to your inbox. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash yo that's my john for updates and live streams. 
Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Yo That's My John and search Yo That's My John on YouTube to find the Yo That's My John YouTube channel. Like and subscribe the heck out of that ish. We want to hear from you. Reach out, reach out, and touch some John. Thanks as always for listening. You and me, pals, we go together like peanut butter and jelly, words and music. Blue skies. Until next time, everybody. Hey, yo, displace the guilt and embrace. Yo, That's My John is a Lonely Monk production written and produced by yours truly, Nate Runkle. Theme song by Phil Tyler Music featuring Nate 3.0. Special thanks to Fox Run Brands, DX Ferris, Andrew Scott, Natalie Runkle, and the incredibly brilliant and wickedly stunning Katie Daubney. If you or anyone you know has any ideas they would like to share or any guests they would like to hear on the podcast, please feel free to reach out to us at yo that's my john at gmail.com. Or you can leave an audio message for us and possibly hear yourself on a future episode by visiting anchor.fm slash ytmj slash message. Until next time, be sure to displace the guilt and embrace the pleasure and shout to the world, yo, that's my John. John.